Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Friday, June the 25th, and actually, it's the anniversary of the presentation of the Augsburg Confession, so this is a wonderful thing for you, our listeners, to look up today. It's a, it's a major part of who we are as Christian people, to know what we believe and why we confess it. Why? Because it's a part of the Word of God, and that's why we gather this morning around the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit helps us put on our Christ goggles in 2 Kings chapter 18. We have a new king, Hezekiah and Judah, and there is a, a problem. Assyria has resettled Samaria, resettled the northern kingdom. Now begins the journey of Hezekiah trying to learn of what it means to be a king when the, when the enemy is knocking at your front door. We learn more about that today as our Lord protects and is with Hezekiah, even in the midst of the most anxious of times, and he is with us as well. So we dig back in God's word because the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends from Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's word, we welcome our, our, our a consistent guest, I would call him, Pastor Lucas Witt of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Baltimore, Maryland. Pastor Witt, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thanks, Brady. Good to be back. I guess uh, I guess you're right. I'm getting a little bit consistent here. So. <laughs> exactly. So, Pastor Wed, you just came back from a vacation with your children, which you told me is an even number. They have four children, zero, two, four, and six. Tell us about your uh, vacation, how that went. Sure. Yeah. We, uh, so we went up to Philadelphia here. It's uh, about two and a half, three hours uh, north of Baltimore, and we hung around uh, Philadelphia, did some of the traditional things you do in Philadelphia, I guess, with uh, seeing the Liberty Bell and a few museums there, um, experiencing the brotherly love. Um, yeah. We uh, experienced, <laughs> um, as, as with any time, you also experience some not-so-brotherly love, of course, but uh, <laughs> Um, so after a few days there, uh, we, we spent a little time in a, in a summer camp um, that's uh, gearing up for summer camp. So it's interesting to kind of be the previewers of, uh, of this camp, um, which I kind of miss. Actually, we spent some time in Camp Omega. Oh, um, yep. The summers we were there in Minnesota, so it was a good time to be resource volunteers. So uh, shout out to Camp Omega out there in Minnesota. <laughs> um, and then we spent a few days in, uh, in Lancaster, uh, Pennsylvania, in Lancaster County, which is um, I'll, I'll say without a ton of research, it may be the most heavily settled uh, Amish country in the nation. Um, so you, you uh, going around some curvy roads and everything, you, you better not go too fast because you might have a horse and buggy um, real fast slowing you down or coming from the other direction. So uh, kind of an interesting uh, experience just to uh, be in that area. Um, we specifically went there for a, a children's museum for fun. And, uh, uh, but, the kids, <laughs> and every time they saw a horse and a buggy, and you know, we waved, and it never got old for them. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, they lost count of how many there were. But uh, so we're we're back in in Maryland now. Um, the plague of cicadas have have uh, gone away. Um, <laughs> it's, it's literally like a plague of swarm. It's amazing. Every seventeen years, a certain kind comes out. So, um, so I think we've come back to uh, to uh, I guess Baltimore as close to normal as we've ever seen it at the moment. Mm, that's wonderful. 
Now, here's the big question. When you went to Philadelphia, did you see the place where Rocky ran up those steps? Did you go did you run up those steps like Rocky? You know, I was I was tempted because uh, we, we did go by them. Um like <laughs> I have to save it for another time, but yes, you <laughs> You don't know how often I had that music in my head. And uh, if I told my kids, if I told my kids, you know, if they watched it and they, and I, we told them, you know, we didn't do that, you know, they would be rather disappointed. So I'm going to hold that in my back pocket for next time. But Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we went there. We went there for a servant event about five years ago. And that was one of the things we had to do was run up those steps. And uh, they actually have a place where, where he ran up and where he stood, you know, and jumped up in the air. And they actually have like the place where his feet would have been um, in that movie. It's just bizarre stuff, but it's a total 1980s motivational eye of the tiger taking on the world type of thing. So anyways, next time I look forward to you telling us that you ran up the stairs. So anyways, Um, (laughs) but pastor, the whole crew will do it. No doubt. They'll all be walking by then. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Pastor, it is a joy to have you back with us. And can you begin our time? I mean, this talk about um, eye of the tiger type of moments, Second Kings 18, and especially when we look at 19 and 20, requires an eye of the tiger, but the eye of the tiger is not a boxer, but it is our Lord. So can you begin our time in prayer and, and seek his wisdom and Holy Spirit for us this morning? Yeah, absolutely. Let us pray. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, uh, you have your eyes on us. You have the fierce eyes of a tiger who uh, watches over us and cares for us, uh, protects us from uh, those who would assail us and attack us. Uh, you have the gentle eyes of peace and grace um, for those times when uh, we we have poor judgment as well, Lord. As we enter into your words today, we pray that you would give us eyes to see what you have us to see, ears to hear what you have us to hear, and mouth to speak what you would have us to speak. We pray this all through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. As we're looking today, we are in chapter 18, as I mentioned, and we are just uh, beyond the point where Israel has fallen. So not only are they not united anymore, the northern and southern kingdoms, but there's no northern kingdom whatsoever. The, the people who were living in Samaria no longer are living in Samaria. So, Pastor, that is a major impact on what we're reading today. What other highlights do you have for us in the previous chapters that will help us out this morning? Yeah, um, as always during this time, it's, it's essential to remember uh, about the, the split kingdoms there. Um, as we get started here, we're kind of we're kind of dancing uh, between those times. We'll start out with the explanation. Um, you know, Hezekiah will, will get a view of of, uh, of Assyria coming in, mm-hmm. um, and we'll kind of visit that again in this chapter. Um, I think we have to go back uh, to to um, his father uh, Ahaz mm. um, and actually join them in Isaiah chapter eight. Uh, just realizing Isaiah gave Ahaz a warning. Um, I begin that so Isaiah, yeah, Isaiah eight. Right, and uh, mm-hmm. Isaiah gave he has a warning, basically saying, you know, um, if if you refuse, uh, you know, refuse the waters of Shiloh, right, what's around you, God has given you, um, rejoice over Rezin or Remaliah. Um, and if, if you basically trust in Assyria, um, uh, that river is going to roll you over. Um, and as he did, he tried to make an alliance with Assyria, and uh, and and now we really see the fruition of that. Um, and as the question raised, and we get into seeing. You know, Hezekiah, like, 
he's the best thing since sliced bread, right? Since, since the kingdom was sliced, um, you know, why is this happening to him? You know, it seems like he's done everything he possibly could. And uh, we, we get this prophecy coming true, um, kind of as a reminder of, of uh, you know, not everything is, is focused on us, but sometimes we have to step back and see, you know, what, what has God said will happen um, as consequences. So I think, I think we have to take that step back and realize that what's happening today. Hezekiah um, is, is Isaiah's prophecy coming true back uh, from decisions that uh, his father Ahaz made and, and the people did back then. Um, and that, I think, is the most foundational thing for reflecting on today uh, as we head into chapter 18. You know, that is very helpful. Uh, Pastor Witt has, has pointed us to Isaiah chapter 8. And there are so many connections because when we go to chapter 19, we hear Isaiah speaking to Hezekiah, giving him the word, a word of the Lord. And so you see that connection of Isaiah. And I'm hoping to, you know, be able to talk about that on, on Monday with Pastor Hemingway about that connection of Isaiah and 2 Kings chapter 19. And then that also connects, and I hadn't thought about this, it connects in chapter 18 because he tells of the coming Assyrian invasion and what this mean will mean for Israel and for Judah during this time. So Hezekiah kind of, uh, he gets called at a very unique time and quite terrifying I would think, to be a king in that kind of situation. So, Pastor, any other thoughts on background before we dig in? I think let's just dig in um, and and let's go from there. All right. So, once again, reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version of Holy Scripture, 2 Kings chapter 18, and we will read the first 12 verses of chapter 18. In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those Days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called the New 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 Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him wherever he went. He prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from Watchtower to Fortified City. I'm going to stop there, actually. So we have this new king. And actually, Pastor, what I found interesting here is that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and he removed the high places. Now, this is unique throughout this time. Um, any thoughts on the faithfulness of Hezekiah? He seems to be almost on his own in the amount of faithfulness that he has in uh, in First and Second Kings. Any thoughts? Yeah, I actually had that same same thought too. Um, when you know, again, he's kind of put on a pedestal here um, as as you know the best king Judah uh, has had and, and will have, mm-hmm. um, only compared to probably by Josiah. And uh, like you said, his his um, 
his uh, father Ahaz was, you know, in, in the horrible area. Um, but, but his grandfather and, uh, and Uzziah before him um, were actually, again, had, had positive reports. And it says they, uh, you know, they, they followed the Lord's ways, but they didn't tear down uh, these high places. So Hezekiah goes above and beyond uh, what others did. And um, it, it creates an interesting contrast, I guess, uh, I, when, uh, when you see a parallel of this, um, when you go into Second Chronicles, Mm-hmm. Uh, 29, uh, 29 to 32, basically it's, you know, it, it, we just, we just buzz through that in, in Kings a lot faster here. Um, but, but second Chronicles spends a lot more time on this. And, uh, and you can see that, uh, there, there's kind of this tension, um, of, of this amazing, uh, reform, I guess you call it. Hezekiah was a reformer mm. and, uh, you know, he, he went back to the way, I guess, whether there were, there were, you know, he did it from memory or how much of scriptures was, was, you know, still around to observe at that time. Um, but he, he brought back, you know, what, what he knew, knew to be best. And it was very much, uh, received by the people. Surprisingly, you could say in some regard at the end of, uh, uh, second Chronicles 29. Let's see. Um, actually I should, I should bring that up to, uh, to say verbatim. Um, but it actually basically says there's no way this would be possible unless it was, unless it was, uh, the Lord. Yeah. Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced because God provided for the people for the thing came about suddenly. Um, so it's striking to me that, you know, Hezekiah does kind of a forced reform, mm-hmm. right? I mean, this is something he kind of just comes in and, uh, you know, like, <laughs> like some of his pastors do, I would say I was guilty of this some too out of seminary, like, you know, we're, we're going to take over the world and, and make things right. Um, you know, and, and we want to change things a bit too fast a lot of times uh, in our zeal, um, usually positive zeal. But, you know, Hezekiah, like, you know, he's he's telling people this is what we're going to do, you know. And while, like, I think that that's laudable, um, it'd kind of be like in our country if we were kind of kind of just saying we're going to our morality to do what Christians should do, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um uh, you know, so when, when, you know, there was prohibition, right. And basically said, well, we're going to, you know, whether this is spiritual or not, right. We did not have alcohol. Like, um, you can say you should do this, but you saw kind of a, a struggle with that from the people. It wasn't followed through here, um, from that era. And, uh, so, so Hezekiah, you know, has this, this amazing, um, God setting him up and saying, you know, he's going to go through with this and, and, some people rejoice greatly um, in the kind of this reform that's happening. Um, and yet all next, suddenly next in chapter 30 in second Chronicles, you see kind of the, some people scoffing and even, even the priests and Levites who he calls to say, Hey, we're going to be doing this. are kind of saying like, yeah, you know, do you really believe this guy? Like, you know, should we be taking this seriously? Um, and so I'm kind of coming down two areas here, but you know, it's amazing to see how God set up people to be, some people to be open to this reform Hezekiah is doing to, to tear down um, the old things, to bring people back and say, Hey, the temple is the place we worship, right? Mm. Tear down the high places, um, tear, tear down the, the, the Asherah poles and, and the Baal stones and all those things, right? The temple is the place they're supposed to be. Let's, you know, let's do it. Like it's said to do in Leviticus, right? Let's start the sacrifices again. Um, let's have the Levites uh, come in instead of being at these high places, kind of, kind of being hired, <laughs> Um, uh, do their job by whoever is in charge of these high places. Let's have them come back to the temple and do the right thing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so he's gone all out and doing this, um, trying to come back full circle to what you actually asked initially. Right. So he's, he's, he's doing this, um, uh, in, in a rather heavy handed way, but you know, because God has prepared many people, you know, many are on board. Um, and, uh, and I would say maybe surprising. So you kind of see this, you know, this kind of revival, revival happening. Um, and, uh, and yet as, as, you know, peeking ahead a bit further, you kind of see that, you know, a forced reform doesn't, doesn't take too deep a root because Manasseh, um, you know, Manasseh is a horrible king, his son after him, and the people kind of just float away again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Hezekiah goes all out, but, you know, it's not long enough or deep enough to really have the people latch on um, when, when, when the king goes astray again. You know, and it's, that's a really great connection that you're making because when you look at Second Chronicles 29 and 30, that Hezekiah is, uh, you know, the best king since sliced bread. And, and the writer definitely makes that known. And part of that is that he had a goal to restore the temple, not for the sake of having a nice building for a museum, but for the sake of restoring worship, gathering the priest, getting everyone together. And, and this sounds like it's just going to be, well, it's going to be a gravy train with biscuit wheels, right? I say that often because it just sounds like everything's going to be great. As long as you have that right order all figured out, everything's going to go well. Like you said, in our own zeal um, in the church or as pastors or whatever it might be, we say, well, if we just did this, then there would not be an issue. If we just did this, then we do this, and then maybe you know Assyria will not take over. Um, all of those uh, uh, things kind of come into it, and then what we lose is not our actions, but the Lord and going to the Lord. And Hezekiah ends up being a great witness of this later on in chapter 19. But for right now, we get a feel for him trying to get everything in order, but yet there's still controversy. So any of the thoughts in the first eight verses as he sets things up well, and now they're going to meet some unique challenges coming up here in these next uh a few verses. Any thoughts? I, I have to go back to the uh, <laughs> now the the Hashikwan or the uh, that bronze serpent. Um, right. Oh yeah, know, yeah, I think, yeah. I think unclean bronze serpent. Um, I mean, that's just one of those out of nowhere things. You know, it's kind of like it's the Holy Grail where to suddenly uh, you know pop up. Kind of like you know this this thing showed up what last in numbers you think it was and. And now suddenly here it is again, and uh, and great, right? Like that'd be a historical find if we could find that thing. Um, except, uh, you know, apparently we're not going to find it because it kind of sounds like Hezekiah decided to, to break it after uh, after people started worshiping it, right? You know? um, right. Going from a, <laughs> going from something very powerful that God used, right, um, to to something that uh, that they abused, and I guess you can see now why, you know, in the commandments is God saying, "Do not make idols." Because um, we tend to make idols out of things when we when we get focused on them above God, whether that's mm-hmm. uh, saying you know the, the book is holy, or um, you know, if God were to send His word in a fortune cookie to worship the fortune cookie, or uh, you know the, the building that we worship in, or um, you know just what what we want. Um, but uh, that's just one of those things that I, I feel like anybody who's reading through is kind of like, hey, the bronze serpent, there it is, and they're doing what with it? So. Um, Hezekiah shows his rashness, I guess, again, because uh, I get the feeling, if I'm not mistaken, he kind of destroys it here. Right, yeah. Yeah, he, for whatever, you know, he broke it into pieces, which at first 
we kind of have this understanding of, whoa, you can't do that to the bronze serpent that Moses made. I mean, that's like sacrilegious. (laughs) But the, the problem, once again, it comes back to faith, repentance and faith, that here... Um, they were not using it to be healed from serpent bites, right? They're using it for other reasons. Um, they made offerings to it as if it was God. They, I don't know if it, they gave it a new name or it just gave us a hard name for us to pronounce today. Um, who knows what the whole situation was. But he broke it in pieces for the sake of God's people to be able to worship. And this has really been the problem since Jeroboam, that they created new places to worship in, in Israel and right now, as of now, like you said so well at the beginning, like technically, um, we're kind of going back a little bit, and Israel has not been taken over, but it's coming in the next few verses. Um, but it definitely is something to remind us of what true worship is, which is of Christ, not the objects, or or even if Jesus had something that we can still find today. And if we're worshiping that, then we've lost the point of why Jesus came in the first place. So any, any thoughts of um, those first eight verses? Um, I, I do have one more I don't want to pass up here. I, I love think it. It's just interesting to realize what uh, Hezekiah, um, I mean, his, his name, I was like, okay, his name is mean something. It means Yahweh is my strength or Yahweh strengthens, uh-huh. right? Yep. Um, as opposed to his father who gets strengthened, you know, by, by Assyria or he tries to, you know, you, you see Hezekiah's trust here, right? That's a big theme that's going to come up. But um, just thinking about, you know, what, where do you get this zeal from? And of course it's the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, God who has formed his heart, but just think about his experience, right? I mean, this guy, um, he lived with his father who, who literally sacrificed one of his brothers, um, mm-hmm. you know, to these false gods, right? He's heard Isaiah um, prophesy about what will come. Um, he's, he's about, to, I guess, in our text, he's about to see you know, one of those prophecies come true. Um, so, so, you know, Hezekiah has multiple reasons for kind of the fire that's in him. And uh, I think that also is just something that really makes, makes him an interesting interesting character to ponder and follow um, through this narrative. And it's definitely different than the other kings, even the kings of Judah. He got rid of the high places, but then it reaffirms in verse 5, he trusted in Yahweh, the Lord, the God of Israel. So there's none alike him before or after. And verse 7, the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. So, I mean, this is totally like Psalm 1, you know, um, blessed is a man. Uh, who, who trusts in the word, right? And anything he does, he prospers. It goes back to uh, the Lord being with him, God being our Emmanuel. Uh, he really, above all other kings, trusted in the Lord. And for us, we pray for that same trust, that we would trust in the Lord in all of our trials. So you said that was your last one you had to highlight. Anything else in those first eight verses? <laughs> Lest I lose my credibility and consistency, I'll stick with that to my last one. I love it. I love it. We'll just read verses 9 through 12. In the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years, he took it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, which was the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken the king of Assyria carried the Israelites away to Assyria and put them in Hala and on the and on the harbor, the river of Gozen and in the city of Medes, because they did not obey the voice of Yahweh their God, but transgressed his covenant, even all that Moses the servant of the Lord commanded, they neither listened nor obeyed. So what happens to the Israelites in Samaria? Well, they get 
coming to them and what they've been warned about uh, for quite a while now, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, Shamanizer, um, when he becomes king, he comes, uh, he basically comes over and needs to take care of more business of uh, people who aren't uh, following his ways or <laughs> in Hezekiah's case, um, he wasn't, uh, wasn't paying the tribute. Um, so he surrounds it. He, he lays siege to it, which is, uh, basically surrounding it and, uh, not letting anybody get food or water until they either give up or die. Yeah. Um, so after three years, uh, that happens. And at that point, common practices, uh, for them and, and the Assyrians back then, um, you know, they, they, uh, to make sure that they don't cause too much trouble or rally, you know, they take a bunch of the people away. Um, they mix them with other people. Uh, I, I, I read once where they kind of, you know, they, they make these people, <laughs> um, these, uh, these exiles and they kind of make them as a buffer, um, between them and other threats they might have. So it kind of creates this, uh, confusion or, um, and I guess you could say terrorists kind of do this, you know, they strike and then they, they, uh, they hide behind the, the everyday people. Mm-hmm. Um, but you see, what happens is, you know, that contrast, right? Hezekiah is one who trusts in the Lord, um, follows his ways. And uh, verse 12 there, you know, Israel, it's kings and their men of people. Um, do not avoid the divorce, the voice of the Lord God uh, that transgressed his covenant uh, that Moses gave to them. So uh, they neither listened nor obeyed, which uh, really is, in Hebrew, that'd be shah, one word, um, listen and obey. Um, so they, they get what's, what's coming to them. And, uh, and, uh, I guess that's a preview of what it looks like is going to be coming to, uh, uh, to Jerusalem as well. Um, actually it comes to Judea. And this is that, you know, it's very, when we look at this, you have, um, they're carried away. Like you said, they carry them away. They put new people in there, serve as a buffer. And I hadn't thought about this. Part of it was just a shame, you know, like, if you're still in your homeland, there's still some hope. Pastor Hoppy spoke a lot about that in chapter um, 17. And now they're doing that. I never thought about this. It's kind of a buffer. So you take these other people, you put them in Samaria, and then there's even more confusion on what exactly is happening, let alone you don't, you don't really necessarily care if those nations get destroyed on their way to other parts of Assyria. Because Assyria, they were bad dudes. I mean, they they were not nice. They didn't take over and follow um, the rules of of war that we try to establish nowadays. They just came in, destroyed, and did things that we can't even imagine. So that's where they're at. They are taken over and uh, Samaria, and now Judah has to be shaking in their boots as they realize what might come next. So any other thoughts on uh, those first 12 verses, Pastor? Yeah, I, I caught uh, one episode uh, before vacation here, and um, you mentioned Jonah, you know, as a, as a contemporary around this time, putting together the timeline. Yeah. And uh, it made me think, I always thought of Jonah as kind of like this curmudgeon, right? Like, why why couldn't he just preach to the Ninevites, you know, the Ninevites, and, you know, and then he was so upset that they repented, but you read this and you can't blame him, right? Like, God, <laughs> you want these people to repent? Like, they're going to be a threat. And maybe this was covered somewhere, in, you know, um, previously, but that just kind of dawned on me of, yep. uh, you know, <laughs> Jonah isn't, isn't, maybe he was a curmudgeon, but he had a really good reason to be upset about this. These guys, you know, I guess better to wipe them out than to have us hang around and have something like this happen, because um, you know, Jonah's a prophet, so he probably has some uh, some ideas about what could happen with Assyria in the future, too, at that time. 
You know, that's a good point. We did, we briefly spoken about that, spoke about that, but I, I love how you've already made those connections. You got Isaiah 8, you got the story of, um, the, the true story of Jonah, and it captures so much about the context, the culture, the history, and also explains why Jonah wasn't real excited about these guys, the, this nation who are so horrible, and you want me to go there, first of all, and I know what you do, God. You're gracious and merciful and long-suffering, and these people might someday I have to consider my brothers and sisters in, in, in the Lord. And that is not necessarily something we're always excited about. But Pastor, right now we need to take our break. We are studying 2 Kings chapter 18 with Pastor Lucas Witt, and we'll be right back. On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand. lhfmissions.org and welcome back. We're studying 2 Kings chapter 18 with Pastor Lucas Witt. And we just got through kind of getting a glimpse. And it's chapter 17 gives us a glimpse. Now we kind of fully understand the context a little more. Not fully. We understand the context a little more. And these people are not good. And God is promising to be with them. Hezekiah is taken over. Um, and now we get to what Sennacherib from Assyria ends up doing as he goes through Israel and then tries to go after Judah. So, Pastor, any other thoughts before we get to our second half of today's uh, text? I, th- I think I'm ready to hunker down in Judah and Jerusalem and see what happens. <laughs> Let's see what happens here. So it is now Sennacherib, who is the king of Assyria, gets involved. So we begin in verse 13, and we'll go through verse 18. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. And the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord Yahweh and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorposts that Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria sent the tartan, the tartan and the reb saris and the reb shaken with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah in Jerusalem. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. When they arrived, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is on the highway to the washer's field. And then they, when they called to the king, there came out to them Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. 
All right, so quite a bit happens there, Pastor. How do you want to break it down? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'd love to say verse by verse, but we don't have time for that. I so, know, that's the hard part, isn't uh, it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, so Hezekiah's response here, um, this is the part, I probably, I probably have more questions than answers. There's so many things I want to want to look up here. But, uh, you know, Hezekiah's response, like he rebelled, you know, and you're like, yeah, Hezekiah, you know, following God's way. Right. Um, and then you get to this part, and it's kind of like, wait, 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 wait. He, he rebelled, right? And and again, <laughs> rebelling isn't, uh, you know, they can't go out and like, you know, light fires in, in Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, and, and protest, you know, that, <laughs> you know, they couldn't do anything near that. Uh, you know, rebelling back then is not paying your taxes. Right, um, right, yeah. And uh, so, you know, I guess that's rebelling in our age too, but, um, right. So, but what does Hezekiah do? I mean, he's like, Oh, you know, whoops, sorry. Uh, I, I apologize. I've done wrong. Um, you know, let's, uh, let's take the silver and gold and, and strip the walls or strip the, uh, the doors of the temple, which I suddenly wanted to watch a, a YouTube video. I'm like, what is How do you do that? What does that look like? I and, know. I know. How many times has the, <laughs> how many times has the temple been emptied now? <laughs> like, uh, well, it seems like it happens over and over, but you know, like you know, the question I could just imagine—I thought middle school floors, like, you know, like, oh, did Hezekiah, you know, lose his faith? Is he not trusting in God? Um, and uh, I think Hezekiah is just doing doing what honestly most of us would do: is say, "Oh, <laughs> um, this is looking bad," and uh, and I wouldn't take it necessarily as kind of he's not trusting in God, but um, you know, using his resources. Um, and, uh, and he's basically taking a step at a time, also probably knowing that, you know, Assyria, um, well, I don't want to spill the beans, but Assyria might have been coming. So, uh, I can't blame what he does, I guess, as much as I could say, I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> right, right. It is a, it is one of those strange moments where usually the, you know, in, in first and second Kings that they say he did right in the eyes of the Lord but he didn't take care of the high places. And here it says, no, he trusted the Lord in all things. And here um, he he tore down the high places. He did everything that seems like it would go well. And here he kind of seems to buckle when a few of the Judah homes or cities or whatever were overtaken by the Assyrians. His response is not prayer. It's not what we'd hope it would be, but it's to give more money to the Assyrians and assume that they're going to use that to God's glory or the, for peace, as opposed to they just like the money and they might come back. They'll come back for you a later time. So it's an interesting text, like you said, it's disappointing, but probably something that you and I would be very tempted to do as well. Other thoughts on, on like you said, you have more questions than answers. Other questions that you have of why, 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 or whatever it might be. I mean, I'm, I'm one of those, I guess I'm very comfortable in saying, here's what I think. Um, but honestly, that doesn't matter too much, right? Like it matters what the text says and so many things. It's fun to fill in the gaps, right? Like this is why, you know, it's so fun being on here and talking because, um, you know, these are the best conversations possible in life, right? Just pondering God's word. Um, but, uh, but, uh, no, I mean, I think, I think more questions are to come. So, um, rather, uh, rather than me piling them up. Um, no, uh, let's keep going ahead for now. All right, let's keep going. Verses 19 through 25. And Reb Shaketh said to him, Say to Hezekiah, 
Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are a strategy and the power for war? In whom do you now trust? And what have you rebelled and that you have rebelled against me? Behold, you are trusting now in Egypt, the broken reed of a staff, which the pierce of the hand of any man who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, We trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah had removed, saying to Judah and to Jerusalem, You shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem. Come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses, if you are able to part to set riders on them. How then can you, uh, you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants, when you trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? Moreover, it is without the Lord that I have come against the place to destroy it. And the Lord said to me, Go up against this land and destroy it. I have to admit I'm a little bit confused on what's happening all here, but uh, tell, me, tell me more. What do you see? Okay, so um, I, I, uh, that last verse uh, is, is a doozy. Yeah, um, yeah. So let's see. They, they have um, uh, these, these men, these uh, messengers of the king. Um, you could even call them apostles. Mm-hmm. They're sent ones right, who are talking on behalf of one another, but the Tartan and the Rabsaris and the Rab Shake, which I think is a fun name. Right? They're, they're there and they're at the, the, the Jerusalem. Um, and uh, they've come up from Lakish, which Lakish, uh, I mean, from, from the Northern Kingdom, um, on the visual guideline, trying to use words, right? They, they go around to Judah. They basically, at some point, you know, they take care of Egypt. Um, and Egypt's not a threat. And, uh, obviously Hezekiah at some point was hoping to trust in Egypt. Um, but they've come up, uh, they've basically got all of Judah at this point. Um, Lakish is, uh, basically the last four, the last fortified city. Um, uh, that's, uh, I think about 30 miles from Jerusalem. So, mm-hmm. you know, when, when Lakish goes down, that's a big problem. Um, it's kind of like, you know, if I'm out here in Baltimore, you know, if people, if, if Canada comes in and takes up Baltimore, you know, people in DC are getting worried because that's the last, that's the last stop <laughs> uh, uh, that's going to hold them off. Mm-hmm. Um, so they see, they see Lakish has, Lakish has fallen. Um, you know, the siege, uh, worked on them. Um, they are in a, a terrible position, which I get, we'll get more description later on. Um, they come to Jerusalem, they come up to the wall and basically it just kind of sounds like they're shouting, you know, they're shouting up on the wall where, uh, the king doesn't come out, but he sends out uh, three of his his guys, um, who I think are actually they're mentioned Isaiah or somewhere again hmm. in scripture. They're not strangers uh, as you go through scripture. Um, but you got the secretary and you got the recorder, and they're taking these words and they're taking down these uh, <laughs> these threats of reason, I guess you could say. Um, right? They're saying, "Okay, here's your message for he- for Hezekiah, right? Um, what what are you going to do now, right?" Um, you, you've tried, uh, you tried rebelling, tried trusting Egypt and saying, you know, help us out. Um, and I love the illustration here, you know, that broken lead of a staff, like mm-hmm. that's, that's just preaching material, you know, it makes me think of, um, makes me think of the Wiley Coyote, you know, like he's got this, this, this 
tool, this gun to like shoot at the road runner. And instead of, um, you know, instead of the net coming out, like the net stands still and Riley Coyote just like shot backwards with a gun over the cliff or something. <laughs> yeah. like, Egypt is supposed to be this tool, this staff that they can use, you know, as a weapon. Uh, and instead, you know, they, it's, it's a broken reed that they lean on and they pierce their hand on. Um, so that's just great, great use of words. But so he's basically saying, you know, no, nothing's going to work. Nothing's going to stop us. Right. Um, make sure I don't jump ahead here. Um, this, there's all these, well, let me just stop there. Cause otherwise I'll keep going. Yeah, no, that, I mean, I, I would love for you to keep going too. One theme that I'm finding with the Assyrians is that they use their own, they use, uh, the, the wordage from Judah and from God's people against them where they're kind of like, you know, why are you trusting this guy? You know, trusting this Lord Yahweh. Um, speaking about the issues that have come and, and Egypt and all this. Uh, and, uh, you know, why, 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 why would you trust this Lord God? You know, why are you doing all this? You should trust in that. Trust in me. You should trust in us, the Assyrians, or know that we will destroy you at any moment. And we see this later on, just where it really comes to a head with Hezekiah and so forth. But the Assyrians definitely are not only evil people. They're very uh, uh, horrible and mean when it comes to, to war. But they also use their words in a way that makes people wonder if God's grace and truth and protection is really there for them. Any thoughts about that for them and obviously for us today? I had that same same kind of thought reading through there. Um, I resisted there just kind of count the number of times it says trust there. Yeah, uh, yeah but right. I think that's the big the big theme that's coming up. You know, this is this is the first half of two parts um, mm-hmm. as as we end today, and this is this is kind of the, the old uh, uh, Batman shows that I would watch today. They're all dark, but what was it? Adam West. They were made uh-huh. in the '60s, but as a kid, the first half would be um, you know Batman and and maybe Robin would like be in this you know, troubled situation and were they going to survive and how are they going to get out of it? And that's where you stopped. Um, and then you had to wait to the next day for it to resolve. So, you know, as we're approaching being stuck in that middle part today, the question is, um, you know, who is your trust going to be in? And like you said, you know, as Siri says, who better to trust than us? And, uh, and he lays out a compelling story, a compelling reason, right? You tr- you had trust in Egypt, they're gone, right? Like they're not only not powerful, but we've taken them out. They're not a threat. Right, we've come up from that direction, <laughs> so they're not coming from behind us. They're done. Right, Hezekiah. What, well, he says, "Trust in your God." You know, he's done all this reform, um, but but he seems to have you know weakened your connection to your God or something. Because from the outside, um, I guess you could say it looks like a lack of trust to them. From the outside, you know, it looks like he has he has torn down you know altars to Yahweh. Right, he's he, he's reduce their their worship to to god or, or something i guess i, I kind of see this as an outside view of them getting it wrong you know um of uh hearing saying you know look hezekiah is just reducing your connection to yahweh um and the people probably would have seen it that way too you know there was all this mixed worship right they were worshiping yahweh and canaanite gods and a bronze snake um and who knows whatever else so you know they, their concept of God was still pretty mixed up here. They were just getting the practices going. Um, so Egypt's gone. You can't trust in them. Hezekiah, can you trust him? He's, he's messing with your God and his altars. Uh, your God's probably upset now. Um, you don't have enough soldiers. 
yeah. uh, to handle us. I mean, so, you know, what else are you going to do? And, and then there's the whammy at uh, verse 25, which I'll admit, when, when <laughs> uh, we went through Kings with my middle schoolers in Michigan, and uh, I just got to read, you know, um, Rabbi Shakay says, what, moreover, is it without the Lord or you know, Yahweh, that's his name there in the Hebrew, right, mm-hmm. that I have come up against this place to destroy it. No, the Lord Yahweh said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. And you know, there was kind of this <gasps> in the room, you know, and the kids were like, you know, did God really tell them to do this? Did he send them? Is that true? You know, and I remember being caught pretty flat-footed, um, like, okay, how do I respond to this? Right. Um, right. But, uh, you know, and that's, that's, that's gotta be the most shaky thing of all, you know, the, the, the them inside of Jerusalem basically saying, oh, you know, is that true? And they turn to Hezekiah and they, um, okay. Well, they're, they'll eventually do this, right? They keep them turning to Hezekiah and turning to, uh, Isaiah or Hezekiah turning to Isaiah, right. And saying, you know, what about this? Right. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's one of those mysteries we don't we don't fully know, but it clearly is that moment where he's standing there and saying, "I'm standing right here, and it looks like I'm going to destroy you. So who are you going to trust? Me, about to destroy you?" And then he says, "I don't know. I don't know how you bring that together." Do you remember what you said to the middle schoolers? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, not not just an excuse, but sometimes I just love letting those tough questions hang, um, especially yeah. if I don't have a for sure. You know, that's it. so yeah, you know, I, I don't have Ghostbusters in my head though. You know, who are you going to trust? That's um, yeah, yeah. so I think, I, I think there's, you know, I mean, the way, the way, the more Eastern thinking of, of Jews is kind of like living in a tension of it than we are. So I think like, I mean, yeah, God, what God allowed this to happen. And honestly, the prophets talked about something like this happening, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, this very well. You know, like God is using the Assyrians to do his bidding. And he told Ahaz that was going to happen. Right. Um, and on the other side, we know that, that uh, <laughs> there's probably no doubt some propaganda. And if his own people struggle with a connection to him, how much more so are Assyrians probably going to struggle with that connection and understanding him as well. So I think this is where um, you know, it, it's important to remember that there's a lot of, struggle and confusion about who, who God is mm-hmm. here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that makes a lot of sense to us today as well, right? Um, you, know, you venture outside of your, you know, Lutheran confessions and Lutheran church, um, you know, you're asking that question of, huh, you know, is, is this person, is this, is this preacher, is this book writer, um, is this ministry, you know, is what they're sharing, uh, you know, how pure is, is the word of God that they're sharing, you know? Right. Um, are they relying on, you know, God told me directly, um, you know, and I think what we do know is that Hezekiah goes back to, you know, he has a prophet, but he knows first and foremost, you know, that prophet speaks for, is God's word, right? Um, yeah, that's so a I good way there's, to... There's a lot of complicated understanding. That's a good way to look at that because you have you have the dynamic of, of, of the Rab Shaka, um, coming and saying, the Lord came to me, but we don't really see a, a big sign of faith coming into this realm, but we do see this later on with Hezekiah. We do see it with Isaiah, um, that it isn't so much, okay, did God come at that point? Just like someone comes to you and says, God told me X. Well, we filter that through the word of God and see if that's what it, 
actually says, or this is exactly what God wants. And we sometimes have to say, I'm not sure if God told you that, but it doesn't quite line up with what Scripture has to say for us. And that's probably where we need to put this and then contrast that with Hezekiah and Isaiah and other prophets that we have during this time period and say, see, they're saying, thus says the Lord, and guess what? It happened, but they were there for the name of the Lord to bring assurance and comfort to God's people as opposed to we're going to destroy you just because that's what I want to do right now. So I don't know. Some That's my thoughts right now. Any other thoughts? Um, I can just imagine... Just imagine, you know, the, the struggle of, of uh, well, I guess in, in the moment he's going to talk to the people. But yeah, yeah <laughs> so right. Maybe I'll hold off. So I can just ima- imagine the struggle right now of, you know, what what does God really want us to do um, in this moment? Right. You know? Oh, yeah. So let's let's keep reading here. Um, I want to go, actually, I want to go 26 all the way to 35. Then Elikim, the son of Hilkiah, and Shebna and Joah said to the Rab Shekah, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. <laughs> Do not speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of the people who are on the wall. But the Rab Shekah said to him, to them, Has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you, and not to the men sitting on the wall who are doomed with you and to eat with their own, eat their own dung and drink their own urine? Then the Rabshakeh stood and called out in the loud voice in the language of Judah, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and the city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus the king of Assyria Make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine and each one his own fig tree and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern until I come and take you to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey that you may live and not die. And do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepha-Ervam, Hena, and Eva? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands had delivered their lands out of my hand, and that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? So, th- th- <laughs> these, are, these are tough words. I envision myself... If somebody were to say, why would you trust God? Why would you trust this pastor? I'm going to show you all the problems in the world, and now you then tell me about this God that you trust. That's kind of the move he's making of saying, why would you trust this Hezekiah that says that God's going to help you when it's clear God did not help this place, this place, this place, or this place? Pastor, we have about five minutes left, so I want you to touch on that, and then we'll get to the last verses. But what are your thoughts on these verses, 28 to 35? Oh, my. Yeah, I can, you know, again, these, these reforms Hezekiah has done are pretty fresh, right? And yeah, so yeah. these people haven't like, you know, oh, this has happened for generations, you know, like, hey, what? <laughs> Hezekiah has done this pretty quick and it's pretty drastic. Um, and, uh, you know, all, all they need is the, if the king won't do anything, which apparently he's not, then 
he just needs the people um, to, to come in for him. And it sounds like he's being really, really reasonable here. And, and you know what? Uh, you know, we, we have pot, pot, uh, pot shirts um, of messages that people kind of heard about what happened in Lakeish. You know, they, they know he's not kidding. Um, mm-hmm. That's what happens in a siege. Um, so you know, they got to be pondering this for sure. But I think this, this is where, <laughs> you know, so the question from before, right? What is God really saying? What do we do? Um, this this is where I suddenly have that movie moment of you see their resolve strengthening, right? And and suddenly like, wait a minute, you know, he's suddenly insulting as much as we, you know, we're still trying to figure out who this God of ours is. Like he's insulting him, right? He's mm-hmm. like, this God is not different than any other God, right? He's going to get run over no matter what, like the ones of Harmoth and Arpad. Um, you know, Sephardim, all these other places we've gone, you know, we're a machine and no God is going to stop you. Right. So at that point, regardless of what God said, you know, I I would, in the, in kind of that, you know, cue the, cue the inspirational music that people were kind of like, no, (laughs) you know, our God is not going to command us just kind of lay down and let him be insulted. That's one thing he will not do, you know, um, and uh, I don't know, that's where I guess he, he, he makes his, uh, his preaching mistake there, um, as I kind of see the movie playing out in my head. Yeah. But yeah. the question is, how is your God against, right? And the, the truth is, we have the God, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who led us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, um, you know, rose, lifted up King David, like that's, that's who our God is. That's how he's different, right? And that's exactly... The thought process, because we can we can go down a very bad road in this scenario, and we kind of are left on the cliff in chapter eighteen. Now, be assured, chapter nineteen is great stuff. I'm looking forward to our time uh, with Pastor Hemingway in chapter nineteen because Pastor Witt, you were left with a little bit of a <laughs> what's going to happen here because we don't end with a solution necessarily, but we do know the gracious God. So let us read. The end, 36 and 37. And then I want you to wrap things up for us here, Pastor. 36. But the people were silent and answered him not a word, for the king's command was, do not answer him. Then Eliakim and the son, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna the secretary, and Joah the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the red... Rab So <laughs> we are left with a lot of questions. And you said this so well throughout our time here, Pastor, is that chapter 18 gives us more questions. However, I think it does give us some answers and does give us some practical thoughts. What are your well, how do you want to wrap up this chapter for us today with about a minute left? Yeah, I think uh it, history gives us a great nugget here to to hold on to. Akrib um, in his own uh, recordings, he has this moment written down. He's talked about getting lakish. He talks about this moment, and then he says, I had Hezekiah locked up like a bird in a cage, or something like that. Sure. Yep. And you have that moment we're at right now, and there's lots of suspense. Um, and the truth is, then it stops because <laughs> uh, he has nothing more positive to say from this point. But here, I think I, I see this. This, uh, the, how the people respond, right? I mean, there's their struggle, and they're going to be going through this, but the people are silent. They trust in their king, right? Mm. Don't answer him, and they don't. And we're soon going to see uh, Hezekiah, uh, Hezekiah's trust 
come through as well uh, as it leans back on God. So maybe too much of a spoiler there for you, but um, I think this presents to us to a, a question we have every day, you know, um, who are you going to trust? And we have every reason, past, present, and future, to trust our God and Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Pastor Lucas Witt of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Baltimore, Maryland, given us the strong word of Second Kings chapter 18. Pastor Witt, thank you again for being our guest. My pleasure, Brady. Saints of our Lord, who are you going to trust? Today we're left with a lot of questions. Would God protect us in the midst of trial? Will God protect us here and there? The same questions that people had today. And when they were asked of this, what were their words? Silence. And this silence was not of fear or of worry, but their silence because they trusted that the king knew the Lord and trusted in the Lord, and they therefore trust in him as well. Chapter 19 will show us how the Lord is trustworthy, and throughout the Bible he shows us the same thing. We can trust this Lord because he is our Savior. I'm your host, Brady Finner and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.